So last week, I gave a little uh, insight, those who were here, about uh, our cat burglary in New Jersey, <laughs> those who were here. Um, I want to share something else that happened when I was in New Jersey with Susie. Two weeks ago, ministering in music at some congregations. So it was on Saturday, it was after the service. We were at the congregation in New Jersey. We're at um, their house, which is where they have all their after-service fellowship. And the rabbi's wife came to me and asked me a question that I did not know how to answer. And it stumped me. And it was not a hard question, but I didn't know how to answer it. So she asks me the following question. What is your vision for your congregation? Mishkan David. And I went, uh. <laughs> and then I thought about it, and I went, uh. <laughs> and then I started to rack my brains in front of her, and all that could come out was, uh. <laughs> and then Susie, who's always covering for me, answered and said, well, our vision is, is Haiti. Did I answer? Yes, you did. And you said Haiti. And she's right in a way. Um, for those who don't know, uh, we do support uh, Rabbi Peter and Lisa Oliveira, who live in Haiti full time. They were the rabbi in Rebetzin here for eight years. And they moved to Haiti with a one-way ticket. And we have an orphanage, and we support an orphanage in Haiti. And there's a lot of amazing things going on with Rabbi Peter teaching the Jewish roots of the faith around the island. And that is our number one priority financially. And that's a fact, and it's something that we've all agreed to, that Haiti, the orphans, and what Rabbi Peter's doing down there financially is number one. And after that will come any sort of need in the congregation. Um, but it's not, it's not like we talk about the orphanage every week, and it's not like it's something that, that, um, that, that comes forth all the time. And it's, you know what I mean? So yeah, that's our number one vision or, or, or priority financially, but is that really the vision of the congregation? In a way it is, but I still was confused about it. Like, is there another way for me to answer this question? You know, and I started to feel a little bit upset with myself. It's like, do I not have a vision? Like, what is the vision? Should I have a vision? Then I'm reminded of a scripture that says, without vision, the people perish. And I'm like, my gosh, am I causing everybody to perish? I'm not kidding. I'm like, you know, it's, it says in another place in the book of Habakkuk, it says, write the vision and make it plain, really understandable. And the only vision I have is, uh. So I, I started to think, and you, and you know, I understand the question because I'm still Monday through Friday in the corporate world, and I understand what it means to have vision from a corporate perspective. Because companies need that because they're achieving goals, right? And so they have their strategic goals, strategic objectives. Like, I don't know, we want to increase revenue by 20% this year. It's like an objective. It's like, what's your vision? You know, or I want my product to be used by 20% more people in 2016. It's an objective. It's a strategic goal that you shoot for. And then once you have your vision set, your objective, 
Then comes what they call tactics of how are you going to achieve the vision. So like you have your goal, I want to increase revenue by 10% and your tactics are like your marketing plans, your sales plans and things like that. The, the, the way you're going to execute the vision to try to achieve it. And, and I love that stuff, by the way. I even like it for my own life, you know? It's like, okay, where do I want to, where do I see myself in 10 years? You know, Susie and I want to retire in Canada in like 10 years time. That's of course our plan, which means nothing by the way, as we know, but it's, it's good to have a plan. And, and then what are you going to do to, to enable that plan? You know what I mean? You have the plan and what are you going to do to execute the plan? These are all great things. And congregations, I, I have it. Like, like, let's say there's a church in Rhode Island and they had a strategic vision of like sharing the gospel throughout Rhode Island. Like that's a vision, like for a congregation. Share the love of Jesus in Ro across Rhode Island. And it's like, okay, if that's our vision as a congregation, like how are we going to execute the vision? So you put together plans. Okay, we're gonna evangelize on the streets of Providence or we're gonna teach the people to invite their friends and family to come out. You know what I mean? Like there's things you do that are more kind of tactical to fulfill a vision. Do you understand where I'm going with this? And that's, I, and I, I get it, I understand it, but then I, I, I wonder like, what is, what is the vision for Mishkan David? Am I supposed to have one? Like in the congregation we came from in New Jersey, they, had, they were strict with their vision and they said it every week, declaring Messiah to the Jewish heart of central New Jersey. And they put together plans that the, that vision flowed into. We would go into Orthodox Jewish communities with our music and share the gospel outside and things like that. Um, so I, I think of these things and I'm like, all right, Lord, am I supposed to have a vision? So that brought me to the scripture of like, what is a vision? And the Hebrew word for vision is in scripture is chazon. Chazon. So when it says without vision, the people perish, and when it says that write the vision and make it plain, it's always chazon, and chazon always means like a spiritual vision. It's not just like eyesight, and it's not just like to be able to kind of look what's gonna be happening next month, you know what I mean? Not like foreshadow, you know, looking forward. It's spiritual, it's always spiritual. In the beginning of Isaiah, it says the, the, the vision of Isaiah came forth, that's chazon. When Nathan spoke to David about, it said the vision came forth from Nathan to David, that was chazon. So, and and even, even in the prophets, it talks about false prophets, that's called chazon, so it's always spiritual. It's like a spiritual vision. So the one thing that kind of came to me is like, I don't know, why don't I have a vision? Like, what, what is the vision and am I supposed to have a vision? And the thing that kind of came to me is that vision comes from the Lord. It's not meant for me as a human to come up with a vision. Because I can come up with things. I can come up with, let's do this, right? And let's achieve this. But if that, if that this is not a vision from the Lord, then it's just me being like a human CEO and trying to get something accomplished when really my goal as the rabbi is to accomplish absolutely nothing outside of what the Lord wants to do. So it's like, why don't I have a vision? I don't know. Blame God. I assure you that if 
he says, I need you to take the congregation here or there, God willing, I will do it. But then it comes from the Lord. The second part of that question of like, what is your vision for your congregation that I, I have a problem with is that it's not my congregation. It's Yeshua's congregation. It's not mine to do what I want with. My goal is to get out of his way at all times. So what's my goal for the congregation? Get out of his way. Take, hallelujah. Take a nap. You want to see me achieve the goal of Mishkan David? That's the goal. That's my goal of Mishkan David. It's a vision that comes from the Lord. And I think that's for me that's so important as a rabbi that it's not for me to decide. It's how I hear the Lord, but it's what the Lord is telling me. It's not what my own head is telling me. And then even executing, the, even if the Lord gave me a vision, says, I want this, it's not up to me to execute it. So it's like, even if he gives me a vision, it's not my job to make it happen. Right? I mean, sometimes we do that in life, and I think it's a lesson for all of us. Sometimes we feel like the Lord told, said, this is going to happen in my life. And now you feel it's your responsibility to translate what he wants us to do and to make it happen when he never told you to do that. He just said, I'm going to do this. So then you took the baton and tried to do it, and now the Lord has to break your own understanding of what you thought he wanted you to do. And he's very patient. He will take your, it'll take your whole life. He will go to another generation to fulfill the word he said to you. He's very patient. Because if you're still in your own strength trying to execute what you felt him telling you, even though he didn't tell you to do that, he'll let you do it. And then if your sons and daughters take it up, he'll let them do it. He is not even withheld by generations. I'm going to take you guys out of Egypt. Great. Wound up being their kids that went into the promised land. And everybody had to wait 40 years for that generation to pass away. So he is, he is very patient. Until they say, Lord, until we say, Lord, I am undone. I don't know what I heard, but I have to put this down. And then he said, good, now I'm going to pick up where I left off, right? And there's a congregation, I remember this one rabbi once told me that he felt that the Lord told him that there's going to be live music coming forth from the congregation. This is one or another rabbi, another congregation. And I shared this before. He felt for the Lord, like he felt really strongly the Lord say, there's going to be live music coming forth. So then he said, whoa, that's awesome. So then he runs out and he buys speakers. He runs out and he buys a, a music equipment. He starts saying, okay, Doris, you're going to play piano, and Val, you're going to sing, and Lou, you're going to play guitar. Lou would have no problem with that, by the way. No problem. And then, then Steve, you're going to play the drums, and we got to get here now an hour and a half early to practice. And like, who's going to who's going to bring all the equipment? Because we're renting a church, and it's not their equipment. we got to bring our own. So who's going to do it? Nobody raises their hand. She's like, well, I guess I got to do it. So now he's waking up two hours early because he's got to lug really heavy equipment to services. And the whole thing was a burden to him. 
he shared. The, the, the whole concept of the worship team for him in this season was very burdensome. It, nothing was gelling, the team was fighting. It wasn't really happening well. And finally, after all this time, I think what he said is that he, he brought his speakers one day and his back went out, and then he was like, Lord, I'm just doing what you told me to do. Why is this so hard? And he finally heard the Lord say, I never told you to make a worship team. I told you that music is going to come forth. I never told you to build a worship team. So what a wonderful blessing to hear a vision, but then again, it's not up to us to execute unless he says go do. God could have said to Noah, I'm gonna destroy the world and start over with you. You know what Noah should have done if that's all he said? Nothing. Okay, I'm not really sure what that means. I'm not even gonna try to figure that one out. But when he said, Noah, I'm gonna destroy the world starting in with you, I need you to build an ark. Aha, there's action, there's something I'm telling you to do, go do. Do you understand the difference between receiving a vision and receiving actually word to go do? And sometimes he will give us vision for our families, for our sons, for our daughters, but he does not, not necessarily telling us to do anything different. But sometimes as humans, we hear it and we think we understand it and we translate it and then we start to build based on our own translation. And I don't want to do that here. So anyway, so I'm still like racking my brains on this vision like, am I supposed to have a vision for this place? And I'm, I'm reconciling with God, you're the one that needs to give me the vision. You're the one. When you do, I could share it. But the reality it is, the reality is, me and Yeshua, if we have anything in common at all, it's we're day-to-day -day type of guys. <laughs> Don't worry about tomorrow. So what's my vision for the, for the congregation? What's my vision, vision for a Shabbat? I don't, celebrate Shabbat and not get killed? <laughs> celebrate Shabbat and not die? I mean, that's really it. I, ha I really don't have vision outside of this, this particular Shabbat. And I'm, I'm passionate about today. I'm passionate that Adonai, in his perfect providence, designed specifically who is going to come out today. Who are the visitors today? Who are the ones going to come out? Who are the ones that are going to stay home and not come out? And it's a divine thing he puts together. And it's glorious. So my vision is just to get out of his way, know that who he brings today is a holy convocation. And that I feel passionate about. So then I'm wondering, am I just overthinking this whole thing? Like maybe she's not really meaning like, what's your vision as in like long-term vision for the congregation, which I have no idea where we're going. I know that God willing, we're gonna have Rosh Hashanah next Sunday, because that's on the calendar. That's on the Jewish calendar. So, yeah, I have a vision for that. Outside of that, I'm a Shabbat to Shabbat type of rabbi. I don't know. You know, I don't know what's going to happen even when we come here. Did I have any idea that we we're going to have this time of thanking God when I walked in the door? Not a clue. I just, you don't know. 
So then I'm thinking, am I just, am I just overthinking this thing? Maybe she's not asking, what's my like, long-term vision for the congregation? Maybe she's just asking what my guiding principles are as a rabbi. Like, what kind of drives me as a rabbi? And again, my answer is, uh. <laughs> but I started to think about that because I, I started to ask the Lord and start to wonder myself, like, what are my guiding principles? And I, and I came up with three, and I'm going to share them. Uh, number one, we're a Messianic Jewish congregation. And I want to, I want to bring forth Messianic Judaism with truth, biblical soundness, lifting up Messiah, and not, not bringing forth things that sound good because they kind of have a Hebrew kind of flavor to it, but really is not truth. So I can tell you this, there's a lot of falsehoods out there in the world that call themselves like messianic or like Jewish roots or Hebrew roots or something like that, you know, but it's all about ear tickling. It's not really authentic. Like we know where the Ark of the Covenant is buried. And if you buy our DVD set, we'll let you know. <laughs> ah! I mean, there's a lot of junk out there. There's a lot of junk that, like, oh, we know the hidden mysteries of this and that and this. I'll tell you, we know nothing. The more we think we know, the more we don't know about our infinite Father. But there's these ministries that, like, oh, we have the, the, the deep truth. Remember last week when I showed the, the game where you put in your name and it, and it, and it gives you, it, it makes it up, but it gives you a, a false interpretation of your name, right? Like a mighty fighter or whatever it was. And it said like, you know, ancient Hebrew translation or ancient Arabic. You know what I mean? Just, just by saying that, you're like, oh, that must be true, right? There are ministries that are out there that just because it says Hebrew, it doesn't mean it's true. There's a lot of junk out there. We figured out how to say the name of God correctly. Judaism never figured it out. But we figured it out, right? All this, this, there's a lot of junk out there. So I, I want to express true, authentic Messianic Judaism. It's an amazing faith we have. Faith in Messiah Yeshua and an understanding of Torah and the Jewish roots of our faith, not forsaking the church. There's a lot of Messianic movements out there that think the church is coming under judgment for putting up a stupid Christmas tree. It's false. It's false. If the church or the body of Messiah comes under judgment, it's because of a lack of love. It's not because of some tradition, because a family puts up a Christmas tree because 2,000 years ago a tree was prayed over. If they were praying over the tree, that'd be another story. If the tree was their God like it was 2,000 years ago, that would be another story. But if it's just a tradition, it's just a tradition. And there's a lot of anti-church out there when it comes to what they call messianic ministries or messianic whatever it is, or Hebrew roots. This very anti-church. I am no way anti-church. Adonai reveals to us whatever he wants to reveal to us. We cannot embrace the Jewish Hebrew roots of our faith unless it is revealed. Okay? And you blame Paul and blame the writers of the New Testament. 
you know, when they when there's, there was a push back then of Orthodox Jews and say they need to keep all these laws, every one of them in there, and that the answer is clearly no. It may have been not yet. That may have been the answer because they said, you know, they're going to hear about Moses in the synagogue anyway, right? Which is interesting in the book of Acts, it says that. But my point is that this, there's a lot of anti-church and there's also a lot of anti-traditional Judaism to just do away with everything that our Jewish forefathers put together, right? There are Messianic or Hebrew roots ministries. This daughter of the king, Donna, She's had a passion for a Baal Shem Tov. Do you want to share what that is? Who that is? He was the um, founder of Hasidism. Yes, the founder of Hasidic Judaism. And she wants to share about it in Sukkot. That's a beautiful thing. There are Hebrew roots, you know, groups out there that want to take that and shove it away. That's just tradition. There's no value. So anyway, there's a lot of junk out there. So anyway, going about my, my vision or what drives me as a rabbi, I want to present Messianic Judaism with truth, not conjecture, not forsaking the church, not forsaking all of the Jewish history and, and, and tradition and all these things that, that have built up to the point that Yeshua came forth from. So that's number one. So I, I want to present clear, true Messianic Judaism. Number two, there's an expression we use here that kind of drives the way we operate, and it's called light and easy. Okay? This I got from Rabbi Peter, and it was, it was a world that I was not used to when I first came to this congregation. So Yeshua said, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That is the barometer for everything. If it's not light and easy, it may not be Yeshua. Because his area that he operates in is light and easy. Now light and easy doesn't always mean it's it's easy to do. Do you know what I mean by that? Just because it's light and easy, it doesn't mean like it's simple. And just because it's it's the light and easy path, it doesn't mean it's the path of least resistance, believe me. Okay? But there is this sweet spot in the spirit, this light and easy sweet spot that I seek and as a congregation for all of us to kind of ride upon, to surf upon, this light and easy area where, where you know it's the Lord's will because it's not heavy in spirit, it's easy in spirit. Let me give a little example, simple example of light and easy. There are certain things that me as a rabbi, I just can't do. It's not easy for me to do. One example is visitation, right? And I used to get hit a lot when I first became a rabbi. You don't visit me. Rabbi Peter always visited me. I used to get that, and I felt horrible about it. But I work full time, and I'm militant about my free time with my wife. Because it's not easy to work full time, also oversee a congregation, and do what I need to do to be a husband. So I am militant about my free time. But I would get kind of yelled at, like, you need to visit more. That's the job of the rabbi. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> sorry. I feel terrible. 
went to the Lord about it. The only thing I felt in my spirit is if I needed somebody that had time to do that, I would have raised up a rabbi that didn't have a job. <laughs> or I would get your butt fired right now. So I'm like, all right, it's not light and easy. I understand it. I understand it. But it's, it's just not that light and easy sweet spot for me to, to have a lot of visitation ministry. All of a sudden, Judy, a couple of weeks ago, comes to me and says, you know, there's a lot of need in the congregation. You know, people need visitation. And people need rides. And people need food. And, you know, things when people are sick, they need things. You know, and I think we just need kind of a central point for that. I'm like, oh, yeah, you better believe we do. And she's like, and I offer myself to, to be that center point. So, and I'll get a team together. So when needs come in, whether it's a visitation or somebody needs to be sick and needs something, or even somebody needs a ride, let it funnel through me. I'll activate a, a team and we'll make it happen. I'm like, Baruch Hashem, my hand went on her head faster than it went on anybody else's head. Hallelujah. Light and easy. That's light and easy. And now we have that. So if there's somebody who does need visitation, I'm like, Judy, activate. Dun, da, da. Wonder Wonder twins. Twins. <laughs> when the twins activate, right? <laughs> so anyway, there is this incredible light and easy, light and easy, light and easy. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that goes for all of us when it comes to Mishkan David. Everybody that is serving at Mishkan David, no matter what they're doing, they know from me, without any uncertain terms, that if it becomes too heavy for them to do, like, I just is too burdensome, they don't have to do it anymore. And this goes against church growth. Because church likes to put people to work. And I don't mind putting people to work unless you don't want to do it. That I would rather do everything than have you do something you really don't want to do in your spirit. Because it has to be light and easy. If it's not light and easy, I don't want you doing it. Otherwise, I'm creating a religion. Otherwise, I'm treating Mishkan David as a business. I cannot do that. This is why at Mishkan David, there's no such thing as coming late and leaving early. This is why every time Pamela comes in, she says to me, sorry, I'm late. And I said, you are right on time. Because if it's not light and easy for her to come at a certain time, she will come when Adonai tells her to come. And that's the way it is with everybody. You come when Adonai tells you to come. You are free to come when your Lord tells you to come. You are free to leave when the Lord tells you to leave. You are free to leave and come back. You are free to leave and never come back. And that goes against congregational growth. But I am not trying to grow a congregation in my own strength. This is why don't be offended if you leave and I don't go chasing after you. <laughs> Maybe one day somebody will come to me and say, you know, I have a vision from the Lord of reaching out to visitors. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> but I'm... But I don't have that vision. Sometimes I'll, I'll reach out if the Lord leads me to reach out. But I'm not trying to build a congregation. 
the lord the lord doesn't bring somebody here i don't want to try in my own strength light and easy i must ride the light and easy train or with my schedule i'm going to burn out and so it should be, I think, with everyone, because that whatever we're going through, family, turmoil, I believe that there is a light and easy path for whatever it is we're going through, where what is driving us? Are we being controlling? Are we being manipulative? What is driving these things, right? Are, are, we, are we seeking to build in our own strength? Are we seeking to build a tower of Babel? Are there things that we need to lay to rest because the one who said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, if he was doing it, you could take a nap and he'll do it. Right? In the spirit, that's what it is. There are things that happen where you can just kind of get out of the way and let him do it in you because it's him doing it. If it's not him doing it in you and it's not him doing it in me, I don't want to do it. Believe me, I would love it to see a whole bunch of people, right? But, I mean, let's face it. A, a church, what is it? What is what is Mishkan to be to a visitor? I, if you were a visitor here, I got news for you. If you come here, you're family and there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it, and that should scare the heck out of you. Because if you think your own family is dysfunctional, what do you mean us? <laughs> but let's face it, for people that come to Mishkan David, we're a commodity. We're a church. You know, they're checking us out, see if they fit into their lifestyle. If we don't fit into their lifestyle, they'll go to the church next door, see how that up, see how that works out. It's the way it is. As much as everybody that comes in is family. You know, we're not family to everybody that comes in. And that's perfectly fine. It's just the way it is. But if somebody comes in here, and I feel so passionate about this, so passionate. If somebody comes to Mishkan David, sits in a service, and says, this place sucks. I got to check out that other place. And you go to, they go to that place and find a home there. Praise God. Ha! Huh. Thank you, Adonai, that this service sucked to them. So they can be where you want them. Do you know why Susie and I came to Mishkan David the first time we visited here? Because we, we moved to Rhode Island. We visited another congregation before we got here. It sucked. And we came here. And it was not Beit Takiyah. No, it was not Beit Takiyah. Of course not. Absolutely not. We would have been the best there. No. So anyway, so, so, so light and easy. So, so number one, I want to just present Messianic Judaism authentically. Number two, for everyone here, everyone here, light and easy. Thank you, Lord. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Oh, no burden. No guilt. No guilt. No early. No late. And number three, which is really number one, when I think, Lord, what is my driving force here as a rabbi? What am I passionate the most about? The thing that I'm passionate the most about is you. And that is absolutely fact. I am enamored with Yeshua, the King of Glory, how he lives within you, and I'm enamored with how he activates within you. You are all divine expressions created in God's image. And then in the book of Peter, he says, we are partakers of divine nature. I see that in every single one of you. 
however he uniquely operates and activates within you, I am blown away by it. I am enamored with him in you and this unique expression of divinity that you are. And I'm passionate about that. Do we have the slide? This is a slide that we've put up here uh, a few times in the past. This is from the Torah. Okay? This is from the Torah, and it speaks about the tabernacle. Do you ever know what the Hebrew word for tabernacle is? Mishkan. Mishkan. Right? So these little red things, if you're not familiar with it, I'm just going to share a little bit. Yeshua said in the book of Revelation that he is the Aleph and the Tav. Are we familiar with that? The first and the last. The first and the last. The, the Alpha and the Omega. Thank you. In Greek. And the Alpha and the Omega. What is that? That's the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter. It's the first and the last. But translating that to Hebrew, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet or Aleph Bet is the Aleph, and the last letter is the Tav. Aleph Tav. Okay? So he's the Aleph Tav. Right? So if you put Aleph Tav together, you get this little word, et. That's how it's pronounced. And it's a unique word in that it does not really have an English translation. It actually, it just comes before nouns in the Torah, or in, even in Hebrew, but it doesn't really have a translation. So, like, for instance, and I remember reading about this and, and receiving the revelation about this in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, the Lord created heaven, created heaven and earth. And in Hebrew, and correct me if I don't have it right, Bereshit, bara Elohim, et, Hashemayim, ve'et ha'aretz. So that et is not in the, our English translations. But it's Yeshua, the Aleph Tav. So when it says in scripture, all things were created through him, there he is in the creation statement in Genesis 1.1. Yep. Aleph Tav is right there. Not, not yeah. translatable, but there. And that whole creation statement, Bereshit Elohim et Yeshua, it's there, and the creation statement goes through it. And then when I read that all things were created through him, I'm like, there he is, the olive in the tub. But then this daughter of the king over here started to look everywhere in Torah to see where this olive tub is. And there's amazing revelation about it. I've told her many times, if she doesn't write a book about this, I'm going to write it for her and list her as the author. Because <laughs> there's incredible revelation there. Um, but anyway, so this is the tabernacle. So we read in English, the tabernacle is tents, it's covering, it's clasps, it's boards, it's bars, it's pillars, it's sockets, the ark and the staves thereof, the mercy seat, the veil, the table, the staves, the vessels, the showbread, the lampstand, the furniture, the lamps, all the incense, all these things, and we read it, you know, it's, it's list all the aspects of the tabernacle, but when you go back to the Hebrew, there's that olive tav before every single article in the tabernacle. So who is the tabernacle in these days? The tabernacle foreshadows you, because the tabernacle is where God dwells. And in these times, he dwells within you. So olive tav, your blonde hair, Olive Tav, your gray hair. Olive Tav, your bald 
bald head. Olive Tov, your mustache. Olive Tov, your eyes. Olive Tov, your mouth. Olive Tov, your hands. That's what this reads to me. He put his name, the name of Yeshua, Aleph Tav, the beginning and the end, before every single article in the tabernacle, and that's what I see in you. Aleph Tav, your passions. Aleph Tav, your creativity. Aleph Tav, your shyness. Aleph Tav, your shyness. Do you know that so much of what Yeshua did, he did in private? You know, the only reason we know about some of these things that he did in private is because the gospel writers wrote about it. But when he did it, he said, don't tell anybody. Aleph Tav, your shyness. Aleph Tav, the things that you're doing behind the scenes. People think like, oh, it's, it's you know, for him to be within me and to activate within me, that how does it look? You know, are you speaking publicly? Are you playing music or doing something artistic publicly? No. Aleph Tav, whatever it is that he's doing in you, everything behind the scenes, even if it's behind the scenes. Aleph Tav, your OCD. Aleph Tav, your ADD. Aleph Tav, your dyslexia. Why do I say these things? Because the Aleph Tav is the blood of Messiah. And the blood of Messiah can be red blood cells or white blood cells. It could be there to bring his holiness and his blood to it, or it could be a white blood cell to take care of things that maybe aren't of him. He's there too. Do you understand that? He could be there as a red blood cell in an attribute or a part of your quality of you, or he could be a white blood cell because it's something that needs to be taken care of. Either way, he is there. So I am passionate about the one, the King of glory, who lives in you and the unique expression that you are. You have a voice. You have a voice. He has a voice in you. Even if you don't talk, he's got a voice in you. And I am passionate about that. So those are the three that I came up with. Present Messianic Judaism authentically, light and easy, and you are so beautiful. Beautiful to me. Can't you see? <laughs> All right. So then I was wondering, like, remember we spoke about like strategies and tactics. So like, there's your strategy, and then how's you? How do you like execute the vision? Like, what are the things you do? So I'm like, I don't know. How can I have them take home the reality of how beautiful they are? How can I let them take this home? Like, I could speak about it. But like, if that's my strategy, how do I, how does this get executed? How do, how do I have people take home the reality that they're so darn beautiful and you're so loved and Yeshua is in you, in your qualities. And that's what makes you so beautiful in a divine, unique expression. How do I make them take it home? So then I thought, make them take it home. So I went to Staples. And I printed this out, and I laminated it. And I'll hand it out, keep it with you, and look at it when you are feeling less 
then, fearfully and wonderfully made, when you were feeling less than a perfect, beautiful, divine expression of the King of Glory. Hang it on your fridge. Put it on your bathroom mirror. So, because when those mirrors lie to you and show you in a way that is false, you can look at this and know that you are beautifully and wonderfully made with Yeshua himself woven within you. In Yeshua's name, amen.